Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. In addition to being a radio host and... Well, several other kinds of things, too, <laughs> that I do. Always looking for opportunities that are provided for me, actually, by our Lord, opportunities for evangelization. I do things that go beyond just being a parish priest, but primarily I am a parish priest. And as such, I am very concerned about marriages and family. I'm also very concerned about that in the work that I do in John Paul II's Theology of the Body, which is a great teaching, a great delivery system for what the church really has to say about all aspects of marriage and family, human sexuality, the church's teaching and all those things. Very, very handy, very powerful means to deliver what the church really says. I highly encourage you to become students of the theology of the body, especially if you're interested in Eastern theology or the Eastern approach. It's one of the reasons I gravitated to John Paul II's theology of the body, because it's ultimately mystical. In other words, it gives the why behind the actions of marriage, the meaning of marriage, why we're man and woman, what love is and sexuality, the real why. And that's what the Eastern churches focus on a lot, that mystical why. In other words, the ultimate meaning of something. Remember, mystery or the mystical doesn't mean something kind of weird or spooky or irrelevant to our hardcore real-life situation on earth. It's actually the opposite. Our hardcore real-life concrete situation in life on this earth, we sometimes call it reality, is really not reality. Reality is, is, is in the mystical, because the mystical is what something really is and will be forever. That makes it more real than just our temporary concrete reality here on earth. When it comes to marriage and family, as always, we look at the liturgy of the church, the marriage ritual, for example, because in the liturgy of the church and how the church prays and its ritual, everything it does symbolically, the art, the architecture, the, the entire integration, a liturgical integration is the place where we really find the real meaning, that why behind everything, that mystical. When we find that, it can actually be very, very helpful in living it. In fact, that's how we get the blueprint to live 
It's from the liturgy. And so it is with the Eastern churches. And I want to strengthen marriage and family today. I do so for the work I do, as I mentioned, also as a pastor, but in a particular way now, because this is a time, because of the lockdown, shut-ins, protests, divisions, politics, pandemic, all this stuff, it's a time that creates a lot of stress and anxiety in families. And it's actually geared at tearing apart families and marriages. Yes, it is, because these things have an evil base to them, and evil wants to go after mostly marriage and family, because civilization goes by way of marriage, by marriage and family. You tear that apart, you tear everything apart. It even tears vocations apart. Vocations come from good, solid families, for the most part. And when you don't have good, solid families, you don't have vocations. So it's a double whammy that the devil is after, because remember, the vocation to religious life, whether you're a priest or a monastic, and the vocation to sacramental marriage are two sides of the same coin. They're the two pillars of civilization, the two pillars of this life that connect us with the next life. It's religious life and the sacramental life of marriage. The two most important things that go hand in hand, one affects the other. So the devil will work at one or the other or both, because if he can bring one down, he can bring the other down. So if we bring one up, we can bring the other one up. We try to bring both of them up at the same time. But today we're talking about bringing up or strengthening marriage by looking at the particular way marriage is expressed and celebrated in the Eastern churches, in particular my church, the Byzantine Catholic Church. In the Russian Orthodox tradition, which is the same as mine liturgically, see the Byzantine Catholic churches and many of the Byzantine Catholic churches and the Orthodox churches share the exact same liturgical and spiritual heritage. The biggest difference is that the Eastern Catholic churches are, of course, Catholic. They're in union with the Pope of Rome, but they still retained, as my church did, their specific Eastern Byzantine style of expression of that Catholic faith. So in the Russian tradition, which again is commensurate with the liturgy, with the liturgy even of my church, because it's the same liturgy in my church as in the Russian church, they looked at the engagement period as a, well, like a monastic novitiate. Oh yeah, like a monastic novitiate. There was a heavy monastic character to dating. Yes, that's right, to the the engagement time. Because it was a time in which a couple was called to become even more centered in Christ, even more disciplined in their purity, in their spirituality, in their prayer, so that they could, in fact, embrace worthily this daunting but magnificent mystery of marriage. And in fact, when the couple got married in the ancient Russian tradition, the custom was for the couple not to go off on a honeymoon, not in some exotic place for a honeymoon, but to spend the first week of their marriage in a monastery. Can you imagine that? In a monastery? What? Yes, to prepare them, as the Russian theologian Paul Evdokimov said, to prepare them for their quote-unquote nuptial priesthood. Nuptial priesthood. See how he uses the two terms in the same breath, priesthood and marriage? That's right. See, priesthood and marriage are not what are different from each other or opposed to each other in terms of being complementary. It is monasticism and marriage that become on opposite poles, but still 
two sides of the same coin, and that is to love, to love in a vocational way, a spousal way. Priesthood in the Eastern churches can be experienced as a married man. So it's not marriage that separates priesthood and sacramental marriage. It's really monasticism that does. But the most important principle here is that whether it's priesthood, married priesthood or celibate priesthood or celibate monasticism and marriage, both are two sides of the same coin. And that coin is embracing very fundamentally that aspect of the cross where we die to self and rise to our true selves, rise to loving the others, to making of ourselves a gift for others. We call this living spousally. And we do that as priests or monastics, Mary priest, celibate priest, and also lay people who are sacramentally married. It's all about that gift of self. So when the custom in the Russian Orthodox Church was to have the couple go to a monastery after their wedding, it makes perfect sense because as they embark upon this, as I've said, daunting but magnificent mystery of marriage, they need to be rooted in Christ. They need the monastic element in their lives right at the beginning. The best married people, the marriages that are most happy, most successful, long-lasting, are those which have in some way the monastic element. You may recall the story in the book of Tobit in the Old Testament. Beautiful story. Part of the story is about a young man, Tobiah, who finds a kinswoman who he eventually marries named Sarah. And Sarah had a problem Every time she tried to marry somebody on their wedding night, the demon came and killed the husband, and it happened seven times. But when Tobiah and Sarah, both very faithful, righteous people, when they got married on that wedding night, Tobiah did something different. He tells his wife, let's get out of bed. Let's pray first. And does this beautiful prayer where he asks God to help him take this wife of his, which he sees as a true gift, Take this wife, not out of any kind of lust or selfishness, but out of a sense of honor and respect. Because he prays that way, they get back into bed. And on their wedding night, they, unlike the other seven husbands, they survived. And there was great rejoicing. You see, what happened was, and the great lesson there, the beautiful lesson, is that the couple, and in this case, the initiative was taken by the husband, the couple consecrated their marriage and their marital union before they even embraced it. They consecrated that to God. They made it holy. They asked God to help them become, in a sense, good monastics in their marriage. That's right. Centered on God, not on lust or using one another or being selfish or demanding and expecting from one another. But they asked God to help them to accept each other in the most noble way. Tobiah asked God, help me to take this woman for a noble purpose and not for any selfishness or lust. There, rooting marriage in God, and for us specifically in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who is God, of course, rooting marriage in there is what the Byzantine rite of marriage says in very clear terms. And that will be the singular secret, if you want to say that, that will provide, actually guarantee. Yep, there actually is a guarantee for a happy marriage. 
You just got to follow God's blueprint for it. He's the one that invented marriage. And that marriage, as we read in Ephesians 5 in the marriage ceremony in the Byzantine church, that marriage must first and foremost be rooted in Christ, in that kind of love, that deferential love. We'll talk more about deferential love when we get back. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya. I invite you to experience Lumen Christi Institute's September webinar series, Eastern Catholic Theology in Action. Learn about the distinct liturgy, theology, spirituality, and discipline of the 23 Eastern churches in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. This webinar series begins Thursday, September 3rd at 7 p.m. and every Thursday thereafter in September and on Thursday, November 12th. Some of the lectures include an introduction to liturgical mystagogy presented by Daniel Galadza, University of Regensburg, a theology of wonder, an introduction to the poetry of Ephraim the Syrian presented by Andrew Hayes of the University of St. Thomas in Houston. These Eastern Catholic Theology in Action webinars are presented by the Lumen Christi Institute along with the Beatrice Institute and sponsored by the Taper Life Institute. To register to access these webinars, visit lumenchristi.org. That's lumenchristi.org. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. You've hopefully heard about the webinar. Yes, there's a webinar starting in September. It's put on by the Lumen Christi Institute and the Godbearer Institute. Now, Lumen Christi Institute does online programming in the Catholic intellectual tradition. They also hold different seminars and so on at the university. But Lumen Christi Institute and the Godbearer Institute is putting on a magnificent webinar, and it's on Eastern Catholic theology. It's going to have some very esteemed speakers. And that's going to start in September, as I mentioned. The first one's going to be September 3rd, and they're all at 7 p.m. It's each Thursday night from September 3rd to September 24th of this year. It's a Thursday night at 7 p.m., and that's Central Time, so 7 o'clock Central Time. You'll be hearing promotions about it, but also to learn more about it and sign up, just go to the website, Lumen Christi. That's L-U-M-E-N, Christi, meaning light of Christ, lumenchristi.org, lumenchristi.org for the webinar on Eastern Catholic Theology in Action. Before the break, I led up to a very, very important word, I think is the essential word for marriage, actually for anything, but especially for marriage. It's called deferential love, and that comes out in the reading that is prescribed, the only reading allowed or prescribed at a Byzantine marriage ceremony. It comes from Ephesians 5, where St. Paul says, defer to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this deferential love is something that you see in action through gesture in Eastern liturgy. You see in the West as well, but 
in a particular way, it's kind of obvious in the East because there's a lot of this bowing that goes on. Bowing, metanoia, metany, even prostration, kissing of icons, signing of the cross. There's this sense that there is something, somebody greater than we that we must continually defer to. In the icon of the Trinity, it's one of my favorites, and I use that for marriage preparation and for marriage counseling. I try to bring the couple back to what marriage is really all about. It's right there in the icon. The icon of God is rendered in this way. It's three angels. comes from Genesis 18, where three angels visited Abraham. Eventually, we know that that was a foreshadowing of God as three persons, one God, three persons, the Trinity. In the icon, the three angels are depicted sitting around together, a table reminiscent of Genesis 18. Sometimes this icon is called the hospitality of Christ because it shows the angels receiving the hospitality from Abraham. They're sitting around a table, but it's very, very Eucharistic in its implication. And in that icon, the three persons of the Trinity, represented by the three angels, bow their heads to one another as if they're saying, to one another, you're more important to me. I bow to you. No, I bow to you. And it's another way of saying we're all equal, equal in love. And when we look at that icon, I always tell couples, look at that icon. That's the kind of love you're supposed to have. Each one bowing to the other as though the other was more important than themselves. Not blaming, not beginning all kinds of sentences with you. Well, you that, and you did this, and you always that, or you never that. But being deferential, saying, well, maybe maybe it's me who didn't understand. Maybe it's me who didn't explain things well enough. Maybe it's me who's got to hang up. Maybe I'm a little bit short-tempered. Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on this or that. Maybe I want my way. Maybe I want that person on my terms. This is the kind of so, sort of self-inventory we do when we practice deferential love. We look at ourselves first and say, well, what is about us that maybe needs to be changed or modified or adapted? It's not just the other person. And so if both are doing that, imagine how deferential, how loving that relationship would become. It would not have the kind of blaming, the kind of expectation that always leads to difficulties in marriage. It's one of the key key ingredients of a happy marriage. I guarantee you this deferential love. And there it is in the service, in the liturgy, as the couple bows to Christ, as we see in the Trinity icon in church or in our homes or wherever it is, should be everywhere. But also in part of the ceremony that is very unique to the Byzantine church, the point where the couple wearing crowns, they're what's called being crowned in the rite of marriage, crowned as martyrdoms, crowned as king and queen of a new order, their household. When the priest takes both their hands together, puts his part of his vestment over their hands, and he leads them in a procession three times around in our church, it's called a tetrapod or like a little table in the middle of the church. And that walk is their first walk together as husband and wife, and it's done three times because it's their entrance into the life of the Trinity. In other words, the priest, as the priest led the couple into the church for the, for the beginning of the ceremony, and that is the custom, the priest leads the couple because he's leading them into the life of the church and into the life of the Trinity. In other words, their relationship is being elevated. It's being sealed into the life of God, and the priest leads them into that. 
And so he leads them around this tetrapod three times while the beautiful hymns are being sung, and part of the hymn refers to martyrdom. So again, the couple, by wearing the crowns and doing this walk and having the hymn being sung about their martyrdom, is once again being immersed in this idea of deferential love, of this dying to self, this humility that I am taking this person in my life as gift, and I am giving myself to them as gift. And I must always live according to that principle, that deferential love, and a mutual exchange of giftedness. Not that they are a burden, that they're a hassle, they bother me, that they're not what I wanted them or expect them to be. None of that. It's all about the deferential love. Then the couple, during the ceremony, they become married to the process of the ceremony by virtue of the priest. See, the priest, representing the church, representing Christ, blesses that marriage. It's not simply a contract. That element is there, but it's actually taking this relationship and sealing it in the church by virtue of the blessing of the priest. You must have the blessing of the priest. And only witnesses, but he blesses. He receives this relationship and elevates it. He's the one that mediates between God and the couple on earth. And he's the one that brings it to its, its high point its immersion in the life of the Trinity and in the life of the church. So the couple realizes from that that their relationship is not just about the two of them. In fact, I like to use the image of the cross. The cross has a horizontal bar. It has a vertical bar. Think of the couple on each end of the horizontal bar. They're across from each other. They're on the same plane. They're equal, right? It's about them. There's something connecting two of them. That's the horizontal bar. So they're connected, and that horizontal bar represents relationship. So they're relationally connected. However, there is a vertical bar, part of which extends above and beyond, in other words, upward from the horizontal, which then points the direction, the gaze of the couple beyond the horizontal. They're on the horizontal. They're on the racial level. But that relational level now has something else that takes it to a higher level. And that's the vertical bar which points to God. In other words, their gaze must first and foremost be upon God. And as they do that, as they move towards God individually, they will automatically move closer to each other. So the image of the cross is very much a part of the marriage ritual. The priest carries a hand cross, especially when he does the procession with the couple around the tetrapod three times, their special walk together. And the cross is not just something that means, well, they're going to have to suffer a lot, as, you know, put up with each other and bear their cross. Oh, my husband or my wife, they're my cross. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that in bearing with one another lovingly, we imitate the spirituality, the gift of the cross, as Christ endured endured our sins as he suffered with us on the cross so too does a couple do that for each other but it also means that the cross points their relationship their gaze to the ultimate meaning of their relationship to the ultimate meaning of their relationship and that is in christ it is something that points them leads them to heaven in fact marriage is really a venue for two people and 
eventually her children, to work out their salvation. That's right. It's just a venue. It's like you know an arena or a stadium where a game is played. The stadium or the arena hosts the game. Without that, there's no hosting of a game. Well, marriage hosts the process of this couple and their children, that process of their becoming more and more into the image likeness of God and hopefully gaining eternal life. It just happens that marriage and family is the venue for those particular people. For me, the venue is the church because of my priesthood and I'm a celibate priest. So my venue is entirely the church. So I am married mystically to the church. So the church becomes my venue for sanctification. Marriage becomes the venue of sanctification for those who are married, especially if they're lay people. So it is through the ritual, and there's so much more to be said about this, through the, the ritual, the icons, the gestures, everything as always, that ingenious integration of liturgy, that we get the true vision and the graces of what marriage is. And a married couple, as we always try to tell them, should always hearken back, like a home base, like in baseball. It's, you have to touch base, it's the home base. Harken back to that home base of your wedding ceremony and all that it meant, and live what it meant. If so, you're guaranteed to be happy. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Listeners to Catholic Radio, I think, benefit most, at least initially, from what I call remedial catechesis. What Catholic Radio does is it uh, becomes an echo chamber for the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. And what we're doing is teaching many things which uh, have been neglected over the last 40, 50 years. If you listen to Catholic Radio, you know what the Catholic Church teaches. Al Cresta thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!